Chapter Thirteen of Skylark Three by E. E. Doc Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Declaration of War. The capital city of Fenachrone lay in a jungle plain, surrounded by towering hills, a perfect circle of immense diameter. Its buildings of uniform height, of identical design, and constructed. Of the same dull gray translucent metal were arranged in concentric circles like the annular rings seen upon the stump of a tree. Between each ring of buildings and the one next inside it, there were lagoons, lawns, and groves, lagoons of tepid, sullenly steaming water, lawns which were veritable carpets of lush, rank rushes and of dark mosses. Groves of palms, gigantic ferns, bamboos, and numerous tropical growths unknown to earthly botany. At the very edge of the city began jungle, unrelieved and primeval, the impenetrable, unconquerable jungle, possible to only such meteorological conditions as obtained there. Wind there was none, nor sunshine, only occasionally. Was the sun of that reeking world visible through the omnipresent fog? A pale, wan disk. Always the atmosphere was one of oppressive, hot, humid vapor. In the exact center of the city rose an immense structure, a terraced cone of buildings, as though immense disks of smaller and smaller diameter had been piled one upon the other. In these apartments dwelt the nobility. And the high officials of the Fenachrone, in the highest disk of all, invisible away from the surface of the planet, because of the all-enshrouding mist, were the apartments of the emperor of that monstrous race. Seated upon low, heavily built metal stools, about the great table in the council room, were Fenor, emperor of the Fenachrone, Fenimol, his general in command. And the full council of eleven of the planet, being projected in the air before them, was a three-dimensional moving, talking picture—the report of the sole survivor of the warship that had attacked the Skylark Two. In exact accordance with the facts as the engineer knew them, the details of the battle and complete information concerning the conquerors were shown, as vividly. As though the scene were being reenacted before their eyes, they saw the captive revive in the violet, and heard the conversation between the engineer Duquesne and Loring. In the violet, they sped for days and weeks with ever mounting velocity toward the system of the Fenachrone. Finally, power reversed. They approached it, saw the planet looming large, and passed within the detector screen. Duquesne tightened the controls of the attractors, which had never been entirely released from their prisoner. Thus again, pinning the Fenachrone helplessly against the wall. Just to be sure you don't try to start something, he explained coldly. You have done well so far, but I'll run things myself from now on, so that you can't steer us into a trap. Now tell me exactly how to go about getting one of your vessels. After we get it. I'll see about letting you go. Fool, you are too late. You would have been too late, even had you killed me out there in space, 
and had fled at your utmost acceleration. Did you but know it? You are as dead even now. Our patrol is upon you. Duquesne whirled, snarling, and his automatic and that of Loring were leaping out when an awful acceleration threw them flat upon the floor. The magnetic force snatched away their weapons, and a heat ray reduced them to two small piles of gray ash. Immediately thereafter, a beam of force from the patrolling cruiser neutralized the retractors bearing upon the captive, and he was transferred to the rescuing vessel. The emergency report ended, and, with a brief torpedo message from flagship Y-427W, resumed at point of interruption. The report from the ill-fated vessel continued the story of its own destruction, but added little in the already complete knowledge of the disaster. Fenner of the Fenachrome leaped up from the table, his terrible, flame-shot eyes glaring venomously, teetering in berserk rage upon his block-like legs. But he did not for one second take his full attention from the report until it had been completed. Then he seized the nearest object, which happened to be his chair, and with all his enormous strength hurled it across the floor, where it lay a tattered, twisted, shapeless mass of metal. Thus we shall treat the entire race of the accursed beings who have done this, he stormed, his heavy voice reverberating throughout the room. Torture, dismemberment, and annihilation to every... Fenner, a fenachrone, a tremendous voice, a full octave lower than Fenner's own terrific bass, and of ear-shattering volume and timber in that dense atmosphere, boomed from the general wave speaker, its deafening roar drowning out Fenner's raging voice and every other lesser sound. Fenner of the Fenachrome, I know that you hear, for every general wave speaker upon your reeking planet is voicing my words. Listen well, for this warning shall not be repeated. I am speaking by and with the authority of the overlord of the green system, which you know as the central system of this, our galaxy. Upon some of our many planets, there are those who wish to destroy you without warning and out of hand. But the overlord has ruled that you may continue to live, provided you heed these, his commands, which he has instructed me to lay upon you. You must forthwith abandon forever your vainglorious and senseless scheme of universal conquest. You must immediately withdraw your every vessel to within the boundaries of your solar system, and you must keep them there henceforth. You are allowed five minutes to decide whether or not you will obey these commands. If no answer has been received at the end of the calculated time, the Overlord will know that you have defied him, and your entire race shall perish utterly. Well, he knows that your very existence is an affront to all real civilization. But he holds that even such vileness incarnate as are the Fenachrone may perchance have some obscure place in the great scheme of things, and he will not destroy you if you are content to remain in your proper place upon your own dank and steaming world. Through me, the two thousand three hundred 
and forty-six Sackner Carfon of Dassor, the Overlord has given you your first, last, and only warning. Heed its every word, or consider it the formal declaration of a war of utter and complete extinction. The awful voice ceased, and pandemonium reigned in the council hall. Obeying a common impulse, each fenachrone leaped to his feet, raised his huge arms aloft, and roared out rage and defiance. Fenner snapped a command, and the others fell silent as he began howling out orders. Operator, send recall torpedoes instantly to every outlying vessel. He scuttled over to one of the private band speakers. X-794PW, radio general call for all vessels above E-blank-E to concentrate on battle stations. Throw out full-power defensive screens and send the full series of detector screens out to the limit. Guards and patrols on invasion plan XB-218. The immediate steps are taken, gentlemen. He turned to the council, his rage unabated. Never before have we, supermen of the Fenachrone, been so insulted and so belittled. That upstart overlord will regret that warning to the instant of his death, which shall be exquisitely postponed. All of you of the council know your duties in such a time as this. You are excused to perform them. General Fenimol, you will stay with me. We shall consider together such other details as require attention. After all the others had left the room, Fenor turned to the general. Have you any immediate suggestions? I would suggest sending at once for Ravendal, the chief of the laboratories of science. He certainly heard the warning and may be able to cast some light upon how it could have been sent and from what point it came. The Emperor spoke into another sender, and soon the scientist entered, carrying in his hand a small instrument upon which a blue light blazed. Do not talk here. There is grave danger of being overheard by that self-styled overlord, he directed tersely, and led the way into a ray-proof compartment of his private laboratory, several floors below. It may interest you to know that you have sealed the doom of our planet and of all the fenachrome upon it, Ravindo spoke savagely. Dare you speak thus to me, your sovereign, roared Fenor? I dare so, replied the other coldly, when all the civilization of a planet has been given to destruction by the unreasoning stupidity and insatiable rapacity of its royalty, allegiance to such royalty is at an end. Sit down, he thundered, as Fenner sprang to his feet. You are no longer in your throne room, surrounded by servile guards and by automatic rays. You are in my laboratory, and by a movement of my finger I can hurl you into eternity. The general, aware now that the warning was of much more serious import than he had suspected, broke into the acrimonious debate. Never mind questions of royalty, he snapped. The safety of the race is paramount. Am I to understand that the situation is really grave? It is worse than grave. It is desperate. The only hope for even ultimate triumph 
is for as many of us as possible to flee instantly clear out of the galaxy, in the hope that we may escape the certain destruction to be dealt out to us by the overlord of the green system. You speak folly, surely, returned Fenimol. Our science is, must be superior to any other in the universe. So thought I, until this warning came in, and I had an opportunity to study it. Then I knew that we are opposed by a science immeasurably higher than our own. Such vermin as though two, whom our smallest scouts captured without battle, vessel and all, in what respects is their science even comparable to ours? Not those vermin, no. The one who calls himself the Overlord, that one is our master. He can penetrate the impenetrable shield of force and can operate mechanisms of pure force behind it. He can heterodyne, transmit, and use infra-rays, of whose very existence we were in doubt until recently. While that warning was being delivered, he was in all probability watching you and listening to you face to face. You, in your ignorance, supposed his warning borne by the ether, and thought, therefore, he must be close to this system. He is very probably at home in the central system, and at this moment preparing the forces he intends to hurl against us. The emperor fell back into his seat, all his pomposity gone, but the general stiffened eagerly and went straight to the point. How do you know these things? Largely by deduction. We of the school of science have cautioned you repeatedly to postpone the day of conquest until we should have mastered the secrets of sub-rays and of infra-rays. Unheeding, you of war have gone ahead with your plans, while we of science have continued the study. We know a little of the sub-rays, which we use every day, and practically nothing of infra-rays. Some time ago, I developed a detector for infra-rays, which come to us from outer space in small quantities and which are also liberated by our power plants. It has been regarded as a scientific curiosity only, but this day it proved of real value. The instrument in my hand is such a detector. At normal impacts of infra-rays, its light is blue, as you see it now. Some time before the warning sounded, it turned a brilliant red, indicating that an intense source of infra-rays was operating in the neighborhood. By plotting lines of force, I located the source as being in the air of the council hall, almost directly above the table of state. Therefore, the carrier wave must have come through our whole system of screens without so much as giving an alarm. That fact alone proves it to have been an infra-ray. Furthermore, it carried through those screens and released in the council room a system of forces of great complexity, as is shown by their ability to broadcast from those pure forces without material aid a modulated wave in the exact frequency required to energize our general speakers. As soon as I perceived these facts, I threw about the council room a screen of force entirely impervious to anything longer than ultra-rays. The warning continued, and then I knew that our fears were only too well grounded. 
that there is in this galaxy, somewhere, a race vastly superior to ours in science, and that our destruction is a matter of hours, perhaps of minutes. Are these ultra-rays, then, of such a dangerous character, asked the general, I had supposed them to be of such infinitely high frequency that they could be of no practical use whatever. I have been trying for years to learn something of their nature, but beyond working out a method for their detection and a method of possible analysis that may or may not succeed, I can do nothing with them. It is perfectly evident, however, that they lie below the level of the ether, and therefore have a velocity of propagation infinitely greater than that of light. You may see for yourself, then, that to a science able to guide and control them, to make them act as carrier waves for any other desired frequency, to do all of which the overlord has this day shown himself capable, they should theoretically afford weapons before which our every defense would be precisely as efficacious as so much vacuum. Think a moment. You know that we know nothing fundamental concerning even our servants, the sub-rays. If we really knew them, we could utilize them in thousands of ways as yet unknown to us. We work with the merest handful of forces, empirically, while it is practically certain that the enemy has at his command the entire spectrum, visible and invisible, embracing untold thousands of bands of unknown but terrific potentiality. But he spoke of a calculated time necessary before our answer could be received. They must, then, be using vibrations in the ether. Not necessarily, not even probably. Would we ourselves reveal unnecessarily to an enemy the possession of such rays? Do not be childish. No, Fenimol, and you, Fenner of the Phenochrone. Instant and headlong flight is our only hope of present salvation and of ultimate triumph. Flight to a far distant galaxy, since upon no point in this one shall we be safe from the infra-beams of that self-styled overlord. You sniveling coward, you pulsillanimous bookworm. Fenner had regained his customary spirit as the scientist explained upon what grounds his fears were based. Upon such a tenuous fabric of evidence, would you have such a people as ours turn tail like beaten hounds? Because, forsooth, you detect a peculiar vibration in the air. Will you have it that we are to be invaded and destroyed forthwith by a race of supernatural ability? Bah! Your calamity-howling clan has delayed the day of conquest from year to year. I more than half believe that you yourself or some other treacherous poltroon of your ignominious breed prepared and sent that warning in a weak and rat-brained attempt to frighten us into again postponing the day of conquest. Know now, spineless weakling, that the time is ripe, and that the Fenachrone in their might are about to strike. But you, foul traducer of your emperor, shall die the death of the cur you are. The hand within his tunic moved, and a vibrator burst into operation. Coward I may be, and pusillanimous, and other things as well, the scientist replied stonily, 
but unlike you, I am not a fool. These walls, this very atmosphere, are fields of force that will transmit no rays directed by you. You weak-minded scion of a depraved and obscene house, arrogant, overbearing, rapacious, ignorant. Your brain is too feeble to realize that you are clutching at the universe hundreds of years before the time has come. You, by your overweening pride and folly, have doomed our beloved planet, the most perfect planet in the galaxy, in its grateful warmth and wonderful dampness and fogginess, and our entire race to certain destruction. Therefore you, fool and dolt that you are, shall die, for too long already have you ruled. He flicked a finger, and the body of the monarch shuddered, as though an intolerable current of electricity had traversed it, collapsed, and lay still. It was necessary to destroy this that was our ruler, Ravindo explained to the general. I have long known that you are not in favor of such precipitate action in the conquest. Hence all this talking upon my part. You know that I hold the honor of Fenachrone dear, and that all my plans are for the ultimate triumph of our race. Yes, and I begin to suspect that those plans have not been made since the warning was received. My plans have been made for many years, and ever since an immediate conquest was decided upon, I have been assembling and organizing the means to put them into effect. I would have left this planet in any event shortly after the departure of the Grand Fleet upon its final expedition. Fenner's senseless defiance of the Overlord has only made it necessary for me to expedite my leave-taking. What do you intend to do? I have a vessel twice as large as the largest warship Fenner boasted, completely provisioned, armed, and powered for a cruise of one hundred years at high acceleration. It is hidden in a remote fastness of the jungle. I am placing in that vessel a group of the finest, brainiest, most highly advanced and intelligent of our men and women, with their children. We shall journey at our highest speed to a certain distant galaxy, where we shall seek out a planet similar in atmosphere, temperature, and mass to the one upon which we now dwell. There we shall multiply and continue our studies, and from that planet, in the day when we shall have attained sufficient knowledge, there shall descend upon the central system of this galaxy the vengeance of the Fenachrone. That vengeance will be all the sweeter for the fact that it shall have been delayed. But how about libraries, apparatus, and equipment? Suppose that we do not live long enough to perfect that knowledge, and with only one vessel and a handful of men, we could not cope with that accursed overlord and his navies of the void. Libraries are aboard, so are much apparatus and equipment. What we cannot take with us, we can build. As for the knowledge I mentioned, it may not be attained in your lifetime, nor in mine. But the racial memory of the Fenachrome is long, as you know, and even if the necessary problems are not solved until our descendants are sufficiently numerous to populate an entire planet, yet will those descendants wreck the vengeance of the Fenachrome upon the races of that hated one, the Overlord, before they go on with the conquest of the universe. Many questions will arise, of course, 
but they shall be solved. Enough. Time passes rapidly, and all too long I have talked. I am using this time upon you because in my organization there is no soldier, and the Fenachrome of the future will need your great knowledge of warfare. Are you going with us? Yes. Very well. Ravindo led the general through a door and into an airboat lying upon the terrace outside the laboratory. Drive us at speed to your home, where we shall pick up your family. Fenimal took the controls and laid a ray to his home, a ray serving a double purpose. It held the vessel upon its predetermined course through that thick and sticky fog, and also rendered collision impossible, since any two of these controller rays repelled each other to such a degree that no two vessels could take paths which would bring them together. Some such provision had been found necessary ages ago, for all fenachrone craft were provided with the same space-annihilating drive, to which any comprehensible distance was a journey of a few moments, and at that frightful velocity, collision meant annihilation. I understand that you could not take any one of the military into your confidence until you are ready to put your plans into effect, the general conceded. How long will it take you to get ready to leave? You have said that haste is imperative, and I therefore assume that you have already warned the other members of the expedition. I flashed the emergency signal before I joined you and Fenner in the council room. Each man of the organization has received that signal, wherever he may have been, and by this time most of them with their families are on their way to the hidden cruiser. We shall leave this planet in fifteen minutes from now at most. I dare not stay an instant longer than is absolutely necessary. The members of the general's family were bundled, amazed, into the airboat, which immediately flew along a ray laid by Ravendal to the secret rendezvous. In a remote and desolate part of the planet, concealed in the depths of the towering jungle growth, a mammoth space cruiser was receiving her complement of passengers. Airboats, flying at their terrific velocity through the heavy, steaming fog, as closely spaced as their controller rays would permit, flashed signals along their guiding beams, dove into the apparently impenetrable jungle, and added their passengers to the throng pouring into the great vessel. As the minute of departure drew near, the feeling of tension aboard the cruiser increased, and vigilance was raised to the maximum. None of the passengers had been allowed senders of any description, and now even the hairline beams guiding the airboats were cut off, and received only when the proper code signal was heard. The doors were shut, no one was allowed outside, and everything was held in readiness for instant flight at the least alarm. Finally, a scientist and his family arrived from the opposite side of the planet, the last member of the organization, and twenty-seven minutes after Ravendal had flashed his signal, the prow of that mighty spaceship reared toward the perpendicular, poising its massive length at the predetermined angle. There it halted momentarily, then disappeared utterly, only a vast column of tortured and shattered vegetation 
torn from the ground and carried for miles upward into the air by the vacuum of its wake, remaining to indicate the path taken by the flying projectile. Hour after hour, the Fenachrone vessel bored on with its frightful and ever-increasing velocity through the ever-thinning stars, but it was not until the last star had been passed, until everything before them was entirely devoid of light, and until the galaxy behind them began to take on a well-defined lenticular aspect that Ravendall would consent to leave the controls and to seek his hard-earned rest. Day after day and week after week went by, and the Fenachrone vessel still held the rate of motion with which she had started out. Ravendall and Fenimol sat in the control cabin, staring out through the visiplates, abstracted. There was no need of staring, and they were not really looking, for there was nothing at which to look. Outside the transparent metal hull of the monster, of the trackless void, there was nothing visible. The galaxy, of which our Earth is an infinitesimal moat, the galaxy which former astronomers considered the universe, was so far behind that its immeasurable diameter was too small to affect the vision of the unaided eye. Other galaxies lay at even greater distances away on either side. The galaxy toward which they were making their stupendous flight was as yet untold millions of light-years distance. Nothing was visible. Before their gaze stretched an infinity of emptiness. No stars, no nebula, no meteoric matter, not even the smallest particle of cosmic dust, absolute empty space, absolute vacuum, and absolute zero, absolute nothingness. A concept intrinsically impossible for the most highly trained human mind to grasp. Consciencelessness and heartless monstrosities, though they both were, by heredity and training, the immensity of the appalling lack of anything tangible oppressed them. Ravendo was stern and serious, Fenimol moody. Finally, the latter spoke. It would be endurable if we knew what had happened, or if we ever could know definitely, one way or the other, whether all this was necessary. We shall know, General, definitely. I am certain in my own mind, but after a time when we have settled upon our new home, and when the Overlord shall have relaxed his vigilance, you shall come back to the solar system of the Fenachrone in this vessel, or a similar one. I know what you shall find, but the trip shall be made, and you shall yourself see what was once our home planet, a seething sun, second only in brilliance to the parent sun, about which she shall still be revolving. Are we safe even now? What of possible pursuit? asked Fenimol, and the monstrous flame-shot wells of black that were Ravendall's eyes almost emitted tangible fires as he made reply. We are far from safe, but we grow stronger minute by minute. Fifty of the greatest minds our world has ever known have been working from the moment of our departure upon a line of investigation suggested to me by certain things my instruments recorded during the visit of the self-styled overlord. I cannot say anything yet, even to you, except that the day of conquest may not be so far in the future as we have supposed. 
End of chapter 13